So we're going to start with uh, thinking about that passage. And I just want to... Um, we're talking about the goodness of God. Last week we were thinking about that, the goodness of God, and how the goodness of God is the foundation of life because we all have questions. We all have questions about, Lord, why don't you heal? Why don't you do things when we ask you to do them? And he just goes, ditto, check. Lord, why don't you? Why don't you? And he goes, yep, I was going to ask that myself to you. So when we get together one of these days, we'll, check, we'll, we'll, we'll answer those questions together. My list might be longer than yours, but never mind. So, I want to, uh, this whole question of, of the character of God is, is, is I think, the key. And, and last week I was trying to get you to think of who's the nicest person you've ever met, the nicest person you've ever known, the kindest, nicest person, and how much you would love to spend time with them. And in a sense say, if you can... Think of the nicest, kindest person you've ever known and how much they enlarge your life, how much they enrich your life, how much when you're anywhere you'd say, boy, I'd love to have them here because it would fill up this thing that I have inside me. It's called love and it's called sharing and it's called hope and it's called everything uh, that's good. And I was trying to say, if you can connect with that person that you can remember, they might be living or dead, what if God is like that person but much, much better? And that's the person you're coming to with every question. That's the person you're coming to with the questions of suffering. That's the question you're coming to when you're talking about, I'm afraid of my situation and I'm afraid of my presence and I'm afraid of my future and I don't feel safe. And we talked last week about if you were in the presence of the kindest person you've ever known, you would feel safe or you'd be able to vent or you would be able to share whatever you had in your heart and life and that would be better than on your own. And when we talk about the goodness of God, he's, he's better and gooder than that person who is the kindest one you've ever known. And so there are many things in life that you're not going to have answers for. And he's just going to have to say, trust me. You know, the lefty's got two young children here, and there are many things that they do not even compute, which they have to trust him for. And we are called to be as children, which is not being silly, because what they trust is love and character and presence. It's not a relationship based on understanding. It's based on security and love. And the only way that we will find a life inside us that holds us when the, the circumstances around us want to destroy us if we trust the character of the one who says he is God, who's revealed in Jesus. And when I get frustrated and when I go, I'm fed up with this, he just will want to say, well, let's talk about that. Tell me how you're feeling. And if we actually wait for the answer, because often we just tell him how we're feeling and we walk off, because we're quite spoiled and we're quite temperamental and we're quite immature quite often with God. We, we call him on the carpet all the time and he very graciously listens to us. But there's a point where he says, if you actually wait for me, I'll show you my heart. And I might have to say to you, you'll have to wait till you're 21. You know, you, I can't explain this to you. But trust my goodness. And I take great comfort in that. Because there's so much I can't understand. I don't understand why some are healed, why some aren't. I don't understand why some die young, some die old. I don't understand pretty much everything, actually. 
It's not much I do understand other than what I don't understand. I understand that I don't understand very much. Um, and it's quite liberating to say, but I don't have to. And I want to uh, just sit here with Paul tonight, because every time I come back to Paul, I, I find it very powerful, very moving. Um, because Paul is this incredible intellect. Paul is this great person. He's this one who has this incredible capacity to debate. And yet he's also got an enormous humility to just serve. And he had started off with such a promising career in the church until he met Jesus and then gave it all up and just said, here I am, I'm going to serve him. Now he didn't have much option ultimately. He was struck down on the Damascus Road and blind for three days. And if that didn't get your attention, what would, you know? So, But nevertheless, he was hidden for 14 years. In our culture, he would have been on the speaking circuit within six months, and probably in four years, he would have crashed and burned. Because we love celebrities. And uh, God wants to build character, and then he'll say, then I, I'll let you go. And I, and I just want to reflect on Paul, where um, I think he demonstrates somebody who, whatever your circumstances, I'm going to remain true to what I was called to. If you look in Acts 21, um, you know, Ephesians was written out of jail. Ephesians was written out of a place of, uh, of suffering. And actually, if we look at Paul's uh, life, there's a lot of suffering in his life. And in Acts, uh, Acts 21, and, and this is relevance because if we're not careful, we can have a false understanding of what it is to follow Jesus. And we can be disillusioned quite quickly when life doesn't go as we hoped it would. And Paul, in, in Acts 21, he, he's, he goes up to Jerusalem and he's uh, meeting with his brothers and sisters and they, they, they um, greet him warmly and they get him to a bit concerned about the way he's hanging out with Gentiles because these are Jews who have never ever heard of the possibility of Gentiles ever coming close to God. And now God is breaking that open because of Jesus on the cross. He's going to the people they never thought would be included. And they're still struggling with this. And they kind of go, yeah, we think that's good, but... And they have these people who are going through the rituals of the day and he says, Paul, will you just be part of this ritual so that we don't offend all these people. And I, I wouldn't have done it. You know, it's like me going to an Anglican church and they're saying, will you wear a robe for the service? And in where I am now, I'd say no, which is probably wrong. But I don't know whether it's right or wrong, actually. But Paul, in this instance, submitted to them uh, to some purification thing. And he, he goes off in Acts uh, 21. I'm just quickly alluding to this in verse 26, that Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the date of purification would end and the offering would be made for each. And when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. Now he submitted to this thing. He's actually done what he's been asked. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. Besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. 
The whole city was aroused. I'm leaving out a bit. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. They seized Paul. They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. They were going to try and kill him and the Romans were called. And the Romans came and rescued him. And as they're rescuing him, Paul says, can I speak to them? I mean, his audacity and his courage are amazing. And then he stands up and he says, uh, he says, uh, I am, I am a Jew and I love this phrase. He stands up to them, uh, and he says, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. And Paul had begun to really understand that he was a citizen of the kingdom. Now, he was a citizen of Rome as well, but he was a citizen of the kingdom, and he lived from that place. And he stirred up, or, or things were stirred up because his witness of Jesus was in the marketplace. And I think our going into Craig Street is about, how about stirring up Parksville? How about actually just being in your face? Nicely. How about actually saying, um, we know a God of hope and healing. And we're here for him to demonstrate that. Not only to you, but to me. Because we have to repent before Parksville for selling you a gospel that we don't even believe. Because we don't take risks that say, unless Jesus is present, we're going to look stupid. And the only way I can maintain my safety is to argue with you and debate you and give you a book or DVD. Because I'm not risking anything. Or I'm on the caricature of those who don't actually do any investing in character. They just start naming and claiming it. And they offend everyone in the name of Jesus. And if they challenge, they just shut the door and tell you they're being persecuted. Paul was investing with integrity. And he ended up being led off, basically, to prison. He, he made his way to Caesarea. He stood before all kinds of people and eventually ended up in Rome. I think he was in Caesarea, or he was in prison there for two years. He was, and then he was in Rome. He was in prison for five and a half years out of his life as a Christian. All the disciples except John were probably killed for their faith. We live in a time where we talk about, and I talk about, God's favor is upon you. God's favor is upon you. And we go, that means I'm going to have peace and I'm going to have enough money and nothing troubling is going to happen. And God's favor was upon those early disciples and they were persecuted and killed. But they wouldn't have had it any other way because people were prophetic and they came up to Paul and they said, one guy picked up his belt and said, "By these, you know, your hands are going to be tied and you're going to Rome and Ephesians tried to stop him because they said there's persecution coming. And he said, I'd rather live with Jesus than die without him. No problem. Amazing. Bring it on. I'm going to Rome. Who's coming with me? You never, you do hear Paul struggling sometimes in his letters, but very seldom. He just looks at circumstances as opportunities to demonstrate the love of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the courage of Jesus. 
In other words, if you're beating me, I'll suffer for him. He suffered for me, I'll suffer for him. I count it a privilege that you're going to beat me for him. That means I'm doing something right. I got shipwrecked. I counted a privilege that I can go on the seas and travel for him. He'll save me. And if he doesn't, well, I'll be with him anyway, which will be cool. So I'm free. Who wants to live like that? A life that is actually uh, reckless. I don't know, but that inspires me. I love that. I love the, uh, the boldness of it. I love the conviction of it. I love the anti-status quo of it. I love the no-religion side of it. I love the looking at the God of Mammon and say, literally, to hell with you, I don't need your money. I'm not for sale, nor is the gospel. There's nothing as scary as a suicide bomber. There's nothing as scary as somebody who says, my life is a gift, it's not mine, it's Jesus. As long as it's here, it's fine. But if you want to take it, you can take it. But I am going to be in your face and I'm going to tell you that God loves you. And I'm going to tell you this and that and the other thing. And I'll demonstrate it with signs and wonders just to make you more amazed. During his second missionary journey, Paul spends an unspecified time in a Philippian cell. He was arrested in 58 AD by Roman troops who save him from being killed in the temple. He is taken to Caesarea where he spends a little more than two years in prison. 60 AD, Paul as a prisoner is taken to Rome. When his case is heard, he is acquitted in the spring of 63 AD. He is back in Rome as in a Roman prison in the city of Rome in 67 AD. Paul stays in jail until he is put to death by Romans around May or June in 68 AD. He spent about five and a half to six years as a prisoner or in prison. There's a prison in Rome called the Mamertine Prison, which uh, traditionally is believed to be where Paul spent some of his time. It was under the ground, and you got, got in through a hole in the ceiling. It was cut, carved out of rock. It was located near the Forum, dated back to the 7th century before Christ. Before that, it was a stone quarry. The prison itself was essentially two large rooms on different levels with iron shackles fixed to the walls. The lower chamber was the Tullianum or Tullian dungeon. The Roman historian Sallust, writing a century before Paul, said of this dungeon, It is sunk about 12 feet underground. Walls secure it on every side, and over it is a vaulted roof connected with stone arches. But its appearance is disgusting and horrible by reason of the filth, the darkness, and the stench. Lighting was indeed poor, primarily coming from torches or oil lamps. The guards might have had fires to provide heat in the winter or to cook food. These guards were usually soldiers. Being a prison guard was not an appealing job and was often given to the poorest soldiers. Some of the guards were cruel, and prisoners, particularly ones not Roman, were defenseless. defenseless. Under Roman law, if a prisoner escaped, the guard was executed. That's what happened when Jesus died and, and the guards lost his body. This tended to make the guards cautious about their wards, to say the least. Prisoners were manacled using different lengths of chain, probably reflecting the security risk, the nature of the accusation, and the attitude of the guards. A short chain could hold a prisoner continually upright, dependent upon others for everything. A longer chain might permit a prisoner to take a step or two from the wall or to sit to lie down. Some prisoners were placed in stocks, their ankles held apart. These persons were forced to sit on the same filthy spot continually. 
A few prisoners might have friends or paid guards to provide them clothing, blankets, food and water. And these persons would also change the bedding straw and clean away the human waste. Other prisoners had no such provision. I'm going into all of this because this is where the context in some form out of which Paul writes most of his letters. The context out of which, say, a John the Baptist sends a note to Jesus and says, are you the one? And he's the one who's just said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come to set the prisoners free. And John says, what about me? You've known me all your life, and I've actually laid down my life to prepare the way for you. What about me? And Jesus doesn't answer. And they have a banquet, and the daughter of the king says, "What you know? can I have his head on a plate? And off he goes, and he has his head cut off. He's 30 years old, 33 years old. We have to, have to, have to come to, to, to terms with that life is not fair, but God is good. The way Satan kills us all the time is we spend all our time complaining about our circumstances and saying, therefore, God does not love me. And our lives are miserable and defeated because that's how we live. You agree? A lot of the time? And the, the sooner we can speak, learn to live from the inside out, which is, I think, what Paul's secret is, we will actually find ourselves victorious and joyful in the midst of all kinds of stuff that is not as we might wish. And that's why he writes Ephesians, and he starts uh, writing encouragement from a place of total imprisonment and no future for him. He's facing death. He knows pretty much there's no escape. And it's certainly not fair. And he says, Praise be to the Lord and God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You say, how can you say you're so blessed? And I think Paul would say, because I'm alive in Jesus. And you say, oh, that sounds such religious cliches. And Paul says, I'm an ambassador in chains. And you go, you're not. You're tied to this Roman. And as I've said before, no, 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 no. Reframe it like we looked at last week. He's tied to me. He's my prisoner. And I'm free. Because if you... The only restrict... All they're chaining is my body. But my spirit goes on walkabouts all over the place. My spirit is free. And it can't be killed. So I just kind of am stuck in this trailer park and it's a pretty lousy place, but my spirit is free. And instead of waiting until I get out of the circumstance so that I can serve God, I'm actually just going to use the circumstance to serve Him anyway. So guess what? Half the New Testament is written in prison by Paul. What it would be like if we understood that actually God was saying, Right where you are is where I can use you. And you determine that you're not trying to get out of anywhere anymore and you're not going to try escaping anymore. You're going to find your refreshment in Jesus, your life in Jesus, and your ministry in Jesus right where you are. And you make a declaration, I'm not going to whine anymore. I'm not going to completely complain to God anymore. Because if we could rub our Bibles and a genie came out of our Bibles and said, so where would you like to be? 
If I was God, I'd just dump you in Somalia. Say, you didn't like the richest place on earth, I'll put you in the poorest place. And you'll be telling the Somalians, shoot, did I ever get that wrong? And you describe this place to them and they'd look at you and they'd go, it sounds like heaven to me. And you'd look at them and say, this feels like hell to me. And then they'd smile at you and say, well, we found heaven here, actually. It's very often the witness of very poor, broken places. Because their spirits are free. It's not romanticizing poverty. It's just, what else are you going to do? To whom much is given, much will be expected. It's a good Mother's Day message, isn't it? But it's... It is the key to freedom. It's the key to freedom to learn from one who was a prisoner and say, what would it be like for me to live with freedom in my heart, irrespective of my circumstances? Because my Father, Jesus, and Jesus hold me secure, irrespective of my circumstances. So be secure. I mean, if you take your circumstances out of the way, what's left? You. Your circumstances do not reflect anything about God, really. He doesn't like you anymore. Or he doesn't love you any less. He doesn't actually think you earned what you have anyway. I mean, you might, but in the big scheme of things, he'll say, grace, 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 grace. So many things could have happened. So you kind of don't deserve it. Nor does the person in Somalia deserve it. Because God doesn't work like that. So he just says, you are where you are. But I'm with you there. And so Paul speaks about that. And he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I'm just picking out uh, passage verses in random as you go through what he wrote in, in this jail. Uh, he, he talks about being predestined. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. In love he predestined us for adoption. He pre when you were created, he predestined you for a relationship through Jesus. So I said last week, everyone's predestined for a relationship with Jesus. Not everyone gets it, but I'm so sick of the Christians who hypocritically go, yes, you're in, you're not, and I'm in, of course. Anyway, get over that, because if you're predestined and you agree with that, then what are you doing with what you're predestined about? He says you're predestined, you're adopted to, to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will. So if you're adopted into the family of God, then you can't be poor. If you're adopted into the inheritance of what God has given you in Jesus, then you can't be insecure. You can't be unhappy. You can't be un lacking in joy. You can't be lacking in hope. Because his family has that all in abundance. Because it comes from the inside out. It's Wi-Fi. You see, he says, in, in, he says this, and this is his secret. You were in included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. When you be believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He put his Holy Spirit and said, put in you and said, you're mine. It's an action, it's a, it's a, it's a 
technical name that they actually did with marketing in the markets with slaves. They put a, a deposit down. And God's put a deposit down on your life through Jesus. He's filled you with his spirit. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of glory. He goes on and on like this. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, do you think he thinks God is good? Do you think he thinks God is powerful? I bet you he sat next to those Romans. He said, do you think you're powerful? Jesus is Lord. Shut up. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Shut up. Because it's really irritating because they have to say Caesar is Lord. No, Jesus is Lord. They went to the, the, the Colosseum. was full of people who would not say Caesar is Lord. Who would not bow the knee to Caesar. That's why they were imprisoned. Now we won't say anything politically incorrect because it might cause us suffering. If the people from the Colosseum were here, what would they say? What would they say to the Christians of Parksville? When we all admired them and they said, we've done our bit, what are you doing? I'm not trying to make us ashamed. Rather inspire us into something. Rather give us context and contrast and say, hey, you know, maybe it's not so bad where I am. Maybe I could do a little bit that might be uncomfortable or inconvenient. Maybe that's the key to growth, actually. Maybe I should stop trying to understand and quote the Bible scriptures and hope that eventually the power of positive thinking will kick in. But maybe I should actually walk in trust with the character of Jesus and see what happens. Because I'm pretty quick at telling everybody else what they should do. And he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength that basically caused the resurrection. And God placed all things under his feet, that is Jesus, appointing him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul sounds to me like somebody who really believes that Jesus has revealed God. And he's on the side of somebody who's pretty powerful. And that his suffering is actually being used as a witness to a church to show how glorious God is. I don't think he knew the extent to which he was being used. You know these scrappy pieces of papyrus that you're sending out to these churches? That's actually my word for the rest of history. Paul go, what? Ah, yeah, I used you. And I thought I was stifled and my life was in these petty little churches that are all squabbling and I'm writing to try and get them to understand that you are good. He says, yeah, that just happens to be the basis of Christianity for the rest of time. What? Yep. And if I told you what I was doing, you'd be too puffed up, and then you were worried about how it sounded, and then it would get all complicated. Stop looking at yourself so much and trust him. I mean, it's as exciting being in prison as it is running a church in Boxville, isn't it? I mean, you never know. You never know. Get a vision, but let it pour out here. And do it with rejoicing. It's very cool to see you all here tonight. Because sometimes on these events you think, well, why should we give up the evening when nobody else is? 
So it's, I'm just thank you for that. Thank you for the encouragement of that. Well, thank you so much, George. That, that's very kind of you, Ruth. Before I start crying, let's carry on a minute. Just because I'm about... Oh, Bill, I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> Actually, Bill needs big thanks for... He does a coffee every week, I mean. So... I wasn't actually planning on... I got all tongue... It doesn't really matter. What I'm just wanting to wind up with is that everything Paul prays for, if you read through Ephesians, he's, everything he's praying for, first of all, comes out of the overflow of his heart. He knows what he's talking about. You can hear it. This is not re rehearsed theology. And I think Paul, if you read Romans, you can get into quite sort of heavy stuff. He's not a stupid guy, this. But it's interesting how he, he comes from the heart and that the Spirit sort of pulsates through what he writes. And it flows out of him. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples, when you go in front of people and, and you, you're questioned about your faith in me, don't worry what you're going to say. I will give you the words. The Holy Spirit will give you the words. That is the same truth that is for you and for me. Just turn up in places and trust him with the words. Christians are way too insecure and self-conscious. I've got to rehearse this and rehearse this and rehearse this. And what happens if I don't know the answer? It's really simple to say, I don't know. It's not difficult. Just be authentic. You probably see far more people begin to show an interest in Jesus if you just were yourself. So you know what? I don't really know. I just know his love is in me and it's changed my life. That's pretty cool. I'm still finding out all this sort of detail stuff. But I, I, I know somebody who could ask these questions, answer these questions if you want. I'll get lefty. <laughs> or, or whatever but you know we work as a team so it doesn't matter just be yourself because they might look at you and say you're no great shakes but boy if you can get changed I could there's hope for me because I know you and man you got some screws loose but something about you sounds authentic I love that humility in you I love that sense of hope in you you seem to have a peace in you I'm looking for that. Paul had it just pouring out. And so the whole Praetorian God, the whole Roman people who were meant to imprison him, he actually came to set free. I was um, saying I read a book this week, or I skimmed a book that I thought was going, it's called Open Heavens, and I thought it was going to be this wonderful book, and it turned out to be not very well written and really not that great. This guy had seen an angel, and um, there's quite a lot of writing right now about angels, and people are getting a little obsessed with angels, and we're actually told to give Jesus the honor and not the angels. But, um, but there's one part of it. I told some of you on, on, on Wednesday night. Um, that was amazing. And, and he was talking about lions. And uh, they were talking about the roaring of the lion. Like in Narnia, you see Aslan roar and, and, and the whole lion of Judah, Jesus, the king of kings, the lion image. Satan also prowls around like a lion, but he's a sort of mangy, groungy, slobbery thing. You know, he's not really... He's just uh, masquerading. But the cool thing was, was just a, a, talking about how lions operate. And then I looked, about, looked it up on the internet, and I think it's... It's true enough to be something we could be inspired by. And that is the male lion, you know, one with the big mane and everything. He, he roars. 
If it wasn't polite society, I'd say he roars and urinates. Because that's what the male lion does. He marks his territory. He basically protects the territory. And the lionesses do the hunting. And the application was, I just think, really actually quite a cool one, which was, Jesus is the Lion of Judah and he roars over the world. And we're praying for him to do something and he's saying, I am roaring over your territory, but my bride is the other lionesses. You've got to get up and hunt. You've got to get up and go after it. You can't keep waiting for me to do what I will never do. You are entrusted with the mission. Now go and hunt. Go and get. Go and set people free. There's a clip that I came across. It's from the War Horse, the movie The War Horse. It's a very, very short clip. Pay attention. He speaks with a French accent, and this might be difficult for you to understand. Did you know to French have the best carrier pigeon? The French have the best carrier pigeon. This is a very simple picture of pigeons flying from the front in France back home and him saying, if they look down, they'll see all the ravaging and they won't make it home. And I think that's what Jesus did. He said, for the glory set before him endured. I think Paul did that as well. He said, I'm looking forward to where I'm going. Jesus said in John 14, he said, where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you and then I'm coming to take you to be with me. It's not just, I've said this before, that's not just a passage for funerals. I take you to be with me is his invitation to us today. I'm taking you now to be with me. And so the question I wonder about, because we talk about the kingdom of heaven is God's spirit on earth as in heaven. Living from the inside out is about living from heaven to earth. The, 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 the things that bring value to humanity are found in Jesus. What happens if when you said yes to Jesus, he gave you the key to your room in heaven? And what happens if you go into your room in heaven and you look at all the stuff there. And if you were to ask right now, they said, well, this stuff is waiting to be called on from heaven, from earth. So you say, Lord, I need peace. And they say, get some peace out of his room because there's lots of peace there for him. Joy, patience, kindness, goodness. What would be awful if you came to heaven and the door had never been opened? And your room is full of stuff. And you said, what's this for? He said, well, you don't really need it now. This was actually provided for you on earth. But you never accessed it. 
You, you lived an Egyptian lifestyle. You lived getting, trying to get your peace, your joy, and your patience, and your kindness from your circumstances and from what you could work out. You didn't really need me, God. You just asked me to bless what you did. And so you struggled a lot of your life managing things. And I longed that you would just say, reach up. That's how you get it. Reach up. It's released in worship. It's released in praise. It's released in thank you, Father, that you have in heaven stuff that will keep me alive on earth. Whether I'm chained like Paul, whether I'm poor, whether I'm rich, whether I'm broken, whether I'm whole, I just reach up and, and it comes from heaven in the Spirit. If you never raise your hands, you might never get what's in the rooms. Because I was too proud. I was too worried about what people thought of me. And you go, there comes a point where I don't care anymore. Because when I know what the source is like, I really don't care what you think. Because what I'm getting from this is much, much more powerful than what I'm getting from you, which might be an awkward look. I don't care. And I'm going to jump up and down because I'm alive. And I don't really care if you get upset by that. Because you're either constipated or sick, but there's something wrong with you the way you're living right now. You know, healthy people out of the kingdom express themselves. And as I've said before, the personality tests on earth do not work in heaven. God can set introverts free and he can set shy people to be open. I'm teasing you a little bit, by the way. Don't get all upset and send me an email because I'll just trash it. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a room in heaven. I don't think I'm pushing it. That is full of stuff for you. Because you have entered into an inheritance that can neither spoil nor fade. And unless we start taking this stuff and applying it, it's just going to be spiritual gobbledygook. It'll never make any difference. So start emptying the shelves in heaven. How do I do that? Put your hands up and say, Jesus, fill me. Thank you. What do you want? Peace. Oh, God, I need peace. Well, don't look at your circumstances. Look at me. Start looking to heaven for everything you need. And you might find stuff starts rolling in the doorstep on earth as well. And he says, I'm just doing this for fun. I think it's pretty cool. So Paul asks for, don't worry, I'm finished now. Paul asks for, so live under the roar of the lion. See yourself as a lioness, part of the bride, and you're going to go in to do your part. You know what happens when the lioness kills? The lion eats first. The lion eats first. In other words, whatever I accomplish, Father, what do you want? Whatever I work for, whatever I overcome, Father, what do you want? Please, after you. What a cool mindset. What a cool mindset. Live from heaven and be free on earth. It's not to be when we die, pie in the sky. <laughs> it's angel cake now. Wisdom, revelation, hope, inheritance, and power. That's what Paul is praying for in prison for all those he's writing to.
All of that is accessible to people who don't have money or don't have status. Who live in Somalia or live in Kuala Lumpur. It's got to be accessible to everyone. Otherwise, it's not fair. That's why the church is growing in the poorest countries, because they get it to some degree. So I just want to encourage you to really meditate, think about, reflect about, pray over how good is God for you. Look at Ephesians and say, "I want everything you have for me. I want my testimony to be whatever happens in my life. I am secure in who God is for me." So what we're going to do is we're going to break bread now, and then we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to I'm going to give you some gifts. And you'll get the offering. We'll have the offering later. We'll we'll have the meal first. They can pay if they like it. All right. <laughs> And Jesus gave us this meal to just remind us again and again that uh, without Him we can do nothing. It's kind of one of these insignificant meals. What do you mean we're going to have bread and a little bit of wine? He says that's all you need in the kingdom, and it'll fill you. All you need is to feed on Me, and all the things that are in you will be filled that need to be filled. So, Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you for Paul's witness. We thank you for the incredible freedom that he demonstrated in an 